Thank you for being that God. Thank you for being the God that we can look at and know is all-powerful. Father, as we look at creation, we're reminded of that. So Lord, may we not forget that no matter what we find ourselves in each day, what difficulty might be there, that Father, you are with us in these moments. So may we respond well to that. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you have a seat, grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis. We are beginning what may be a decade-long series in the book of Genesis. Just kidding. I think I'm just kidding. I have no idea. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, Genesis, um, we're going to be doing something a little different in our approach for this week and next week. Uh, what I want to do is um, do both Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 this week and next week. This week, kind of running through some of the specifics uh, and allowing you to have some opportunity to ask questions to be answered next week. Now, I'll be honest, I've anticipated a few questions for next week already. We'll see if those are the ones that you actually ask. But as you are sitting here this morning, I want to give you an avenue to ask those questions. And instead of having you throw paper airplanes at me or shout me down, instead, let me do this. Here is a text number that will stay on the screen for most of this morning. If you are sitting there listening and you have a question about Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 2, we encourage you to... Text that question to 904-404-2365, and today, and only today, you get a special discount deal of two questions for one. But if you would text that, that would be really helpful to me to be able to actually answer questions you are asking. Does that make sense? I can get up here and, and yammer for a little while, but if you really aren't even asking that question, then I'm wasting all of our time, and I don't want to do that. Um, you will notice I'm already speaking fast. It's just going to get worse for a little while. Because i got a lot of ground to cover in about a half an hour. So uh, buckle up. Here we go. Let me read. I'm just going to read Genesis 1 this week. Next week I will read Genesis 2. Um, and yet both weeks I'm going to be talking about Genesis 1 and 2. I think it will make sense when we go through. Genesis chapter 1. It starts like this. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. There was an evening. There was a morning. Day one. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters separating water from water. So God made the expanse, and he separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning, the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind, and it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day, the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. 
God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came. Then morning. The fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Let me finish the beginning of chapter 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. All right. Just a quick review of what is very common knowledge, what you already know, and what you just heard. It begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. He created the whole thing, skies above and land below. It says that God created. The Hebrew word for created is the word that is only used with God. It's bara. It, the only, uh, th that word is only used of God's creative ability, creating something new, creating something fresh, creating something perfect. Because of this one fact, man can make, right? Man, man can form, but, but we need pre-existing materials to create something. Only God can create something from nothing. And that's what you see in Genesis 1 talks about there's, he, the, the Spirit of God hovered over the watery abyss, that the earth was formless and void. It was formless. It was empty. And so now God is hovering over this formless and empty creation. What does formless and empty mean? It means disorder, darkness, total chaos. Think of a teenager's room. Parents, let me give you a little Hebrew to use with your teen's room. It's an awesome little phrase, and that's what formless and empty in Hebrew is this. Tohu va bohu. 
Do you just walk in tonight and be like, tohu vabohu? And they'll know. Actually, they'll think you've lost your mind, but that's all right. And then you start in verse 3 all the way to 31, and God begins to answer the problem of tohu vabohu. Or sorry, got it backwards. Tohu vabohu. There we go. Because you noticed that, didn't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> he begins to answer the, the problem of, 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 of formless, of chaos, and empty. And with a simple word of his mouth, he, he called things out of nothingness into being. Don't let that get old. <laughs> with a word. And as you look at days one through six, every day addresses that problem of formless and empty. And he's going to, instead of formless, he's going to form. And then he is going to fill what he has formed. And here's just a, a little bit of a, a, a way to understand that. He goes days one, two, and three, he's creating the form. Days four, five, and six, he's filling those forms that he created. And they're parallel. I'll lay it out for you right here in front of you so that you can see it. Um, it says he formed and he, he filled. And here on day one... He created light. He created day and night. And on day two, it says that he, he created uh, this expanse to separate the waters, the sea and the, the sky, uh, sorry, the sea and the atmosphere. And he called that expanse the, the sky. On day three, he created dry land. He had caused dry land to come out. And then a little bonus creation on day three, he made plants. And then he's going to go through and he's going to fill those things. Day four... What he does is he fills the, the light, the day, the night that he created. He, he fills that with sun, moon, stars, celestial bodies to rule over the day and to rule over the night. He fills what he has formed. On day five, he, he fills the sky and the sea. He fills, creates birds and fish. And on day six, he fills land with animals and with man. It's no longer tohu vabohu, because that's how God works. He steps into chaos and utter confusion and brings order. It's what we celebrated last week. In the middle of what was the most confusing of times, he declared the biggest victory of all time, because that's what God does. As you read through the creation account, you see the time limits of each day being set. It was morning, sorry, it was evening, and it was morning. It was evening, and it was morning. And every time God looks at what he created, he declares it was good. It was good. And then he gets to the end of his creative process in verse 31 at the end of day six, and it says he looked at his entire creation, and he said, whoo very good. Now, kind of back up a little bit. You go to verse 26 of chapter 1. God says, let us make man in our image. So the question needs to be asked, who is us exactly? Who is, who is us exactly? If you look closely at the account of Genesis chapter 1, you see the triune God at work. God created. There is God the Father. The Spirit hovered over the watery abyss. There is the Holy Spirit. And then you see Jesus as God spoke. Okay, Frank, I was with you till that one. Well, don't forget what John 1 says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word 
was God. He was with God in the beginning, and nothing was made that has ever been made except through the word that is Jesus Christ. So I understand this is a little side thing, and I can get way off topic, but if you try to fit the Trinity in your head, it will hurt. If you're sitting there and you're like, I just can't get all the pieces to fit, <laughs> praise God, because once one of you is like, I understand the Trinity per perfectly, everybody else should separate from you and watch for lightning. Doesn't mean we shouldn't keep wrestling with it. But our God is so massive, so big. He is eternal. He is holy. He is unchanging. He is ever-present. He is all-powerful. And if you think that God fits in your three-pound brain, you are an arrogant person. Celebrate the mystery. Rest in it. After God creates man and woman, he he celebrates with the first poem in Scripture, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. He's singing the beauty of his creation. He's singing the beauty of the highlight of his creation and creating humanity and creating male and female in his image. And here, just, just help, let me help you for a second here. If you double-click on chapter 1, verses 26 and 27... What opens up is chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Because what you're looking at in chapter 1 is, is kind of the, the narration event of creation. And then as you look into chapter 2, what you see is the poetic version of creation. Let me explain it this way. It happened in Exodus chapter 14 and 15. The, the Israelites escaped through the Red Sea in Exodus 14. In Exodus 15, they write a song about the, the deliverance that God has shown them. And in that song, there are details that weren't mentioned in chapter 14. You go to Judges chapter 4, you've got the, the account of Sisera being um, murdered by jail with a nail. In chapter 5, you've got the women singing a song about this deliverance from this evil dictator with details in chapter 5 that weren't in chapter 4. Maybe a, 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 a modern day uh, illustration will help. If you ask me about when my kids were born, I will tell you, this is Genesis chapter 1, I will tell you the date, rough time. So, so Audrey's the one living with us right now. She's 15 years old. She was born. <laughs> this is funny because in my notes, I have the wrong birthday down, um, which will prove my point in just a moment. Um, August 29th, 2005, she was born just after midnight. I could tell you her name is Audrey Quinn Taylor. I'll tell you she was a little girl. She was born then. That's about all I got. You ask my wife about that event, you will get Far more details, including always the correct birthday. Meet Genesis chapter 2. And that's what you have happening here in, in chapter 2 of, of Genesis as Moses unpacks for the people, which we'll talk about in a minute, unpacks for the people a little bit more specific. So look at chapter 2, verse 7. And what you find is a little bit more specifics about the creation of Adam. You see that he was formed a little bit differently. The Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. You've got him being formed. That's a, a verb form, a participle that's often associated with someone who works with clay. 
In fact, in, in, in Jeremiah, that very word verb is used as the, the potter takes works with the wheel, and as he looks at the jar he's making, he's like, okay, it's a little flawed, so then he, he squishes it all up and makes it into another one. That's the word that is used, God's hands-on creative activity of Adam. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and then gave him life by sharing his own breath with Adam. And this formation of Adam is unique. He's created in the image and likeness of God. What is that? Let me, let me just a real simple way of understanding it. I, I understand it in three different ways. Mentally, morally, and socially, we are created in God's image. That's how you see those things. Mentally speaking, let me, let me explain that. Human beings can reason. We can make choices. We can create. So anytime you see somebody invent something or write a book or write a song or paint a picture or enjoy a symphony or sit down and, and do math, that reasoning ability, that mental ability is us celebrating the fact that we are created in God's image. Morally speaking, we were created in righteousness, and sin certainly has mucked that up pretty badly. In our, but our conscience, our moral compass, is, is a piece of that original created state. So whenever somebody writes a law, or somebody puts, is put off by evil, or somebody stands up for what is right, or somebody praises what is good behavior, or when someone feels guilty about a choice they made, what you are doing is demonstrating the fact that you have been created in the image and likeness of God because that is placed there by him. Socially, socially, you were created for relationship, for, for fellowship. So every time somebody marries, every time somebody makes friends, every time somebody hugs, every time somebody gathers with others for community, you are celebrating the fact that that image and likeness of God has been placed in you. Which leads to this. God looking at Adam and declaring the one thing of creation that wasn't good. It's not good that Adam be alone. It's not good. A lot of jokes there. I'll just keep moving for time's sake. Verse 18 of chapter 2. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so what he does, what God does, is he brings all of the animals by Adam for Adam to name them. And in that process... Adam doesn't find a single animal that could be his complement, that can be his uh, uh, um, companion, that, that brings him what is needed to, to complete him in the image and likeness of God. I find it interesting. I've got to be very delicate here. No animal can complete you. You need human relationships. But, but you don't know my labradoodle Craig. Okay, first of all, Labradoodles are spawns of Satan. And stop naming your animals with human names. And that dog will never, ever be able to bring the companionship that is meant for us in relationship. They don't have to be romantic relationships. We are built socially in the image of God for relationship and for fellowship. So what God decides to do is he's going to make a helper for him. And more crime has been done in evangelical circles with that word helper. Oh, so she's a help meet for him. That's the old King James. She's, she is somehow a lesser than, than, than Adam, and that is not true. And you can understand that when you understand how this word is used elsewhere of God. You get to Exodus chapter 18. <clears throat> and what you find is, is um, 
Moses saying, this, this is how we got out from Pharaoh. He has said, the God of my father was my helper. Time out. Does that mean God is somehow lesser than Moses because God helped him? Absolutely not. The only reason he escaped from Pharaoh's hand is because of God's activity. And so when that word is used, it is not a lesser than. When God creates woman, she is equal in dignity. She is equal in value. She is equal in worth. She is different in function, different in perspective, different in giftedness. But both sexes bear God's image fully on their own, but completely when they're together. Each is necessary to accomplish what God has called us to do. Every male, every female reflects truths about God that aren't reflected by male alone or female alone. If we compartmentalize men and and compartmentalize women, then, then we're incomplete. And God just made it clear what he thought about Adam being incomplete. It's not good. And so upon the creation of Eve, a little different than Adam, taking a rib from Adam, forming Eve, Adam awakes from his surgery, and there she is. And we have a rather unsubtle joy and exuberance burst from Adam in the second poem in Scripture, verse 23. This one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This one. This one. So you have... God declaring creation good, and you've got God's creation celebrating the goodness of God. So that, that um, is me just highlighting a few things, okay? There's some errors that are made when we read Genesis 1 and 2 that I want to make sure we're careful of, okay? First of all, we tend to approach Genesis chapter 1 and 2, particularly the creation account, as an argument that needs to be had. So, so many people approach this that, okay, listen, I'm just going to argue this person who doesn't believe in creation. I'm going to argue with them, and that will lead them to ultimately agree with me, and they will then believe in creation. Um, no. And, and let, me, let me be really clear, because I made a comment on the online service that I don't regret, but I want to make sure that I make it here and clarify it so that if you hear any whispers or rumors, you can squash them for me. I think this is where answers in Genesis tend to go off the rails at times. They're a wonderful organization, and don't get me wrong, all right, I'm not decrying the evil of Answers of Genesis in any way. However, I think where they do make mistakes at times is they have decided this is the one answer, and we are going to be militant and disagree with everybody who's not even close, if they disagree with one jot or tittle, I'm taking them down. That's not what, and this isn't my opinion. Look, look what Hebrews says. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. It's not an argument. It takes faith. Why does it take faith? Because you weren't there. I don't think. Any of you there? All right, good. So, okay, dangerous question to ask, but you weren't there. So it's not an argument to be had. Stop arguing over it. That's not the purpose of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. The purpose of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is not to be approached as a scientific uh, textbook either. Listen, it's a very it's slippery slope, okay, which I hate that argument. It doesn't, doesn't hold a whole lot of weight with me, but here it does. The Bible is not about you. You understand that, right? Too often we approach the Bible and we're like, okay, life for dummies right here. Let me figure out how I'm going to do this. Okay, perfect, yeah, yeah. The Bible is not a book about you. The Bible is a book about Jesus, 
Every character, every genealogy, every command points to him. And it tells the story of how God will eternally be glorified as he has redeemed for himself a people through the finished work of Jesus Christ. How God will restore the fallen world and how we celebrate that with him for all of eternity. It's not about you. We fall into the trap of approaching the Bible trying to find answers for my life right now. Here's the answer to your question. You ready? Here's the answer. This is what the answer the Bible says. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's the answer for your life. Let everything else fall aside. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. But now, now, what about creation? I mean, I'm going to go to Genesis 1 and 2, and I'm going to tell you how many days it actually was, or how many years was in between, or whatever you may find in here and think your answer is. Hey, hey, hey! It's not about your science textbook. The subject is given to you in the first verse. You, you remember grammar, right? In the beginning, God created. Who's the subject of the verse? It ain't you. The purpose of Genesis 1 and 2 is not documentation. The purpose of Genesis 1 and 2 is about celebration. It's about reminding you of who we worship. It's not about memorizing the days of creation in order. What day were the birds made? It's not about that. It's about who made us. Let me give you two, two takeaways for this morning, specific ones. Um, this one, just because, this one, <laughs> this, yeah, this has made a profound impact on me. Chapter 2, let me read it again, verse 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Let me... Let me we need to have a proper view of day seven. God rested not because he was fatigued, not because he was tired, but he rested to enjoy his finished work. He rested to live in the temple that is his creation. We often hear the word Sabbath, and we think, well, we need to take a break or we're just going to flame out. Okay, that's a thousand percent true, but that's not the main point of day seven. We rest, we cease from work because the work is done. We rest and cease from work because we can enjoy the finished product. That rest is an opportunity to reflect and enjoy on the gifts of God. And on day seven here, what we see is where creation is headed one day. One day, because of what Christ has already accomplished, God is going to restore his creation. And the whole earth is going to be his temple again. And God will live resting with his people. And if you've read Revelation 21, you know that already. Something else that stood out to me, this is my goosebump moment of the week. Got to get a couple of those. Do you notice what's missing from day seven? There is no mention of an evening or a morning. Do you know why? Because ultimately, that rest 
never ends. The goal of all of creation, the end result of all of creation is to live with perfect rest because God is in our presence. So let me, let me, let me end with this. This was kind of like the beginning, but I'm going to do it now instead. How's that? Genesis was written by a man named Moses. Ever heard of him? Moses wasn't sitting there with a steno as God created him. Like, ah, oh, got it. Okay, that just happened. He's not a, a reporter. What he's doing is he is writing a theological work to a group of people who had just gotten out of Egypt. And he's saying to these Israelites who had just gotten out of Egypt, let me remind you of who your God really is. Because while you were in Egypt, your head got jacked up a little bit. In fact, we see this in Joshua, as Joshua tells these people, fear the Lord, worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Worship just the Lord. So you see that these poor people had, had, had gotten off track into what Moses is saying. Listen, listen, listen. He's not one of many gods. He's the God. He's not just the God of the Israelites. He is the one true God for all of mankind, for all of creation. What Moses is doing is he is writing a theological worship guide for his people. Not so they could focus on what day the birds were created, but they would see God for who he is in a world that continues to miss the point. Um, uh, theologian, Dr. B.B. Warfield, actually helped me a great deal in his explanation of this and the mistakes that we tend to make. Somebody forms a window, places it in a home, and you happen to go and review the window. You're there, you're looking at this new window. And the mistake that we tend to make is we walk into the home and we begin to look at the window and we're like, oh, there's a little bit of a blemish right there. And now what? It's interesting, what is, what's it made out of? How many panes are there? I mean, how does it reflect the sunlight? How does it, and in fact, the window was placed there so you could look through it at the beautiful mountainside. But you're not looking at the mountainside, you're too busy inspecting the window. Too many of us have made the mistake of looking at the window instead of looking through it. This is about him. This is about the one who is eternal, who has been since the beginning and will have no end. This is about the one who is personal in his creation of you and I as he formed us. This is the one who is sovereign over all things, creating skillfully with a single word. This is the one who is omnipotent and powerful enough to whisper the name of a star. And it showed up. So what should you do? What should your response be? looking through this window. Fear him. Psalm 33, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and he locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. What should our response be? Fear him. What should our response be? Remember who you are. Let me jump to the next one here. When I look at the night sky, I see the work of your fingers. I see the moon, the stars you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that 
that you should care for them? What should your response be? Remember who you are. What should your response be? May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in everything that he has made. The earth trembles at his glance. The mountains smoke at his touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors that are high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command, and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. And day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. What is your response to be as you look through the glass and you see the creator, the one who spoke these things into existence? What is your response supposed to be? Worship him. Bow down and kneel before the Lord your maker.